You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. Four. Jim quickly regretted that he had not put on hiking boots. His regular shoes slid on the smooth forest floor, and despite his quick reflexes, he still managed to get wet from water falling off a tree branch. Still, he continued walking. He circled the clearing where the party and the parking lot were, making a perimeter sweep. He found no signs of anything dangerous. No cavemen brandishing axes, no astronauts with laser weapons or pirates with peg legs and eye patches, and was about to turn back towards Mercedes and her friend when something flew into his ear. It made a strange high whine, and he slapped at it. The whining continued, and he slapped again without result. He realized nothing was in his ear, nothing physical at least. It was just the sound that made it feel like that. It was a very high, annoying whine, barely audible as a sound, but more like a vibration. Slowly he turned himself, until he had pinpointed the direction where the sound was strongest. What could be making such a sound? It didn't sound natural at all. He pulled his cigarettes from his pocket, but hesitated. He didn't want to cause a forest fire out here, and despite the water in the air, he didn't feel like taking the chance. He wouldn't have to wait. Instead, he pulled the pack of nicotine gum Andrew had given him and began chewing a piece. It would have to do for now. When he had found the direction of the sound, he moved slowly towards it. It didn't seem to increase or decrease with distance, but he could tell he was slowly getting a headache from it. It seemed to go straight into his skull. The woods became less dense, and after about half a mile, it opened up completely. A clearing of about forty by forty feet lay in front of him. In the middle of it was something strange and shimmering, but at first it wasn't what he looked at. The clearing wasn't a clearing in the traditional sense. Instead, it looked like something had hit the ground, and the bushes and trees had been blasted to the ground. That couldn't be, though. If a meteor had fallen this close to the city, the whole country would have known by now. Judging from the kind of force, it would have shattered windows all over the Bay Area. The shimmering thing in the middle of the clearing didn't look like a meteor either. In fact, it didn't look like anything Jim had seen before. His first thought was that it looked like a stage curtain blowing in a soft wind, mixed with a rain cloud seen from a long distance. He fumbled in his pocket and pulled out the cell phone that he had carried since his experience with the Soul Eater. Pressing a button on it, he looked at the device. He seemed to remember Andrew saying something about a camera. 
After two or three attempts, he finally made the phone activate the camera, and he held it up in front of him, taking three pictures of the object. This has got to be the time hole, he mumbled. Looks like it's straight out of that damn Twilight Zone show. Why does TV have to be right all the time? He opened the text message function, attached the pictures to the message, and selected Andrew's number. He pressed send and gave an annoyed grunt when a message appeared. No signal to send message. Try again later. Crap, Jim said. Maybe temporal disturbances destroyed cell signals? Maybe he was just too far from the city? He put the phone in his pocket. He knew he should walk back to the party area, call Andrew from there, and get some kind of backup. Tell Mercedes and her friend that the party was most definitely cancelled. And under no circumstances should he be getting close to this thing. Which was odd, because it seemed to be coming closer in his field of vision. He shook his head, trying to clear his vision. He felt like he was walking forward in slow motion or in his sleep. Every movement was dreamlike, like it was underwater. The object was coming closer and closer for each step he took, and he really should not get any closer. But he kept walking. Jim began fighting against the impulse from his body to walk forward. He forced his foot to take a step back, then another. Something moved over his foot. He looked down and saw a rabbit, hopping so close it had rubbed against him. It was moving in small, fast hops. It paused, looking back at him with its nose wiggling for a brief moment before hopping on. It reached the object in the middle of the clearing, took another hop, and vanished. Jim felt his own feet moving forward again and resumed his struggle. He tried to force himself to turn, to run the other way, but every step seemed to carry him towards the object instead of away. What the hell is this thing? He thought as he fought the force pulling on him. Some kind of Venus flytrap? Dragging people in? Is it something completely unrelated to the time travelers? When he was only a step or two from the object, he resorted to a different tactic. He threw himself to the ground, trying to get off his feet. His fingers burrowed into the soft soil, trying to hold on to something. It was useless. He was dragged backwards as surely as if someone had been pulling on both his legs. He felt his feet touch the object, except it wasn't really there. It was like touching fog or mist. He felt himself be pulled further back, and his torso and body were enveloped in the mist. For the briefest of moments, he felt dizzy and slightly sick to his stomach. Then he found himself lying on the forest floor, now apparently on the other side of the object. The clearing looked the same. The sun was still overhead. Next to him, the rabbit hopped around with a cheerful expression on its face. Slowly he got to his feet and brushed off his clothes. His jeans and summer jacket were a little grass-stained, but nothing terribly dirty. In fact, it might make him look more like a cowboy if he had been going to the party tonight. Jim had smoked cigarettes since he was thirteen, and despite his body healing itself constantly, making his lungs as clean as a newborn baby's, he had suffered a few of the smoker's problems in his life. One of these was that his sense of smell was not as keen as when he was a teenager. 
This was the reason it took him a few seconds to sense the difference in the air in the woods. He could still smell the bay and the green scent of the trees around him, but something was missing. He inhaled deeply before realizing what was missing. The smog. The smell of the city. Always there, always just lurking below the regular smells. Not unpleasant, but always present. Except now. Jim looked around the clearing. It looked the same as before, but he had a suspicion that it was simply the other end of the anomaly he had passed through. So where am I? Prehistoric times, the 16th century, Mongol China? Or are dinosaurs going to come through the woods in a moment? He dismissed that idea quickly. If this had been the dinosaur age, the air would be substantially different. The oxygen content would be different, and with the extra methane, it wouldn't smell as fresh as this. The clearing was also the same, so he wasn't in either the musketeers or the Mongol horde's backyard. He was reasonably sure he had not moved in space, only time. This was still the Bay Area, but when? I should get back, right now. What if the hole changes time zones? I could end up trapped here. No sense in risking being stranded in the past. Despite the thoughts that went through his mind, he stood for a moment, taking it in. The past. Not even someone as old as he was could help but feel a little overwhelmed by this. He had grown up in Chicago, with the slaughterhouses and industry turning the city into a smelly, overcrowded hell. He had never experienced life outside the cities in his childhood. So a place without pollution at all, without cars and trains, without people... His thoughts were interrupted by a scream. It was high-pitched, terrified. It was followed by a growling, snarling sound, and something began crashing through the woods towards him on his right. He spun, and his hand reached under his jacket to grab the gun in his shoulder holster. He almost never wore it, but he was suddenly glad he had brought it today. From the edge of the trees, a girl of about eight came running, sprinting as if her life depended on it. She was black-haired and dressed in a piece of clothing that looked like a tunic. Her dark eyes widened when she saw him standing in the middle of the clearing, but whether it was from looking at him or the object next to him, he didn't know. She skidded to a halt, obviously forgetting whatever it was she was running from. She's an Indian, Jim thought. Have I dropped down in the middle of her tribal territory? Behind the girl, her pursuer now crossed the tree line and entered the clearing. Jim felt the chill run down his back. It usually took a lot to scare a man who has lived over a hundred years, who could heal damage to his body in minutes, and who had fought against werewolves, tentacle monsters, and delusional angels. The grizzly bear charging out of the woods was big enough to make him swallow spit an extra time, however. It was running on all fours, but even standing like that, its shoulders were almost level with Jim's eyes. He estimated that if the creature stood on its hind legs, it would reach somewhere between nine and ten feet high. The girl tried to feint to the side, then sprint the other way. The bear snarled at her and made a jump to the side, making it clear it had seen through her ruse. It turned its head back and forth between Jim and the girl, as if unsure who it should go after first. Jim's fingers were still closed around the handle of his gun. 
It was a Colt 38 detective revolver, which he had owned since his time on the police force. He didn't think it would be much use against the bear except to aggravate it. He might have more luck using his sword, but it was back in his own time, in the back of the car. Slowly he pulled the gun from the holster anyway, holding it in one hand. Perhaps if he could hit the creature's eye or mouth, he could do more serious damage and scare it off. In his mind, he ran through some of the things he had heard about bear attacks when he moved to California. Make yourself large, speak softly, don't make eye contact, play dead, and if all else fails, hurt the bastard. The girl also turned her head back and forth from him to the bear. A moment later, she dropped to the ground and lay flat on the ground amongst the broken trees and bushes. The bear seemed to make up its mind then and focused on Jim. It got up on its hind legs, and Jim saw his estimation had not been too far off. This animal would practically be able to look through a second-story window without straining its neck. I'm not sure I like the past, Jim mumbled before raising his voice, speaking in calm tones. Okay, nice bear. Good bear. Just be still. I'm not really that dangerous. He made his voice as deep and calm as possible, while he raised his arms and tried to look as imposing as he could. His right hand still held on to the gun. The bear made a gruff, snarling sound and went to all fours again. It hunched its hindquarters, looking like it was getting ready to charge him. Jim knew he could probably outmaneuver the bear. From his fight with the werewolf, he knew that four-legged creatures had a different center of gravity when making quick turns. But he was concerned about the creature's reach. He couldn't expect to be a bullfighter and sidestep it in a second. He decided to take the chance and try hurting it. He lowered the gun and took careful aim at the bear's head. The bear growled and seemed to get angrier at that. It shook its head from side to side, making the aim even more difficult. Slowly he curled his finger and squeezed off the shot, aiming for the bear's right eye. Jim had learned to shoot in his time on the police force, and had practiced plenty in most of the years he had lived, giving him, if nothing else, more experience than any other shooter on the planet. He didn't consider himself a marksman, but he usually hit what he was aiming at. In this case... The shot could not have hit better if he had stood right in front of the bear. The bear's scalp was torn open over the right eye, and red blood began pouring out. The bear howled in pain and anger, slapping its forepaw against its face in an almost human gesture of surprise and pain. Jim began moving slowly towards the girl, making sure he didn't approach the bear directly. It was still howling, but now seemed to get more aggressive by the second, it raised itself up on the hind legs again, made a growl that sounded like it was telling him that this time it was personal, and jabbed its front paws at him, before falling to all fours again and charging. Jim stopped his movement and let the bear run towards him. He was all too aware that it could easily outrun him. It ran with the speed of a galloping horse, and that if he turned his back to it, he would have no way of evading it. Jim knew he could heal most damage and that even if his hand, foot, or arm was crushed in the bear's jaws, he could heal it. But he had never tried if he could actually regrow a foot or hand and didn't intend to start now, not to mention try to regrow a head if the bear tore it off his neck. The bear came at him like a freight train, 
half-blinded by either the pain from the bullet or the blood running from the wound in its skull. Perhaps a bit of both. Jim readied himself, preparing to dodge when the bear got within a few feet. He hoped it would not be able to turn around fast enough. He bent slightly at the knees, and when the yellow-brown fur was all he could see in his field of vision, he leaped to the side. Feeling the air pressure as the bear thundered past him, it stopped, turned around, and charged again. I can't avoid it forever, Jim thought as he prepared for another sidestep. He considered shooting again, maybe hitting the other eye, but he didn't have time to aim. This time he leaped to the other side, feeling his foot hit the bear's flank as it passed him. This time, however, it stopped and got up on its hind legs again, turning around to face him. Jim had never felt smaller in his life. The bear towered over him, its face a mask of blood and bits of bone from the skull. Its mouth was open and snarling as it tried to focus its left on him. The right one rolled uselessly around in its socket, giving the bear an odd cross-eyed appearance. The bear swiped out with its paw, and Jim tried to evade. This time, he was not fast enough. He was knocked off his feet by what felt like a jackhammer to the chest. He rolled to his side, feeling that several ribs were probably cracked or broken. He bit his lip to keep from screaming in pain, even though he knew this was damage he could heal. That didn't make it hurt any less. He rolled to his back and raised the gun again. The bear was still towering over him, the head seeming impossibly high up. This time, he aimed as carefully as he could and fired twice. The bear's left eye vanished in a spray of blood. It howled again, but this time tilted back on its legs, losing its balance. It fell backwards and hit the ground with a thudding sound that seemed to echo in the forest. Its legs twitched, but Jim was fairly sure it was dead. Three bullets to the eyes was not something even a monster bear just shrugged off. He remained on the ground for a few moments, feeling his body begin the healing. The pain was bad, but he had felt worse. Slowly he rolled to his feet and walked towards the place where the little girl had been. She was gone. Great, Jim mumbled. Thanks a lot, mister, you saved me. Oh, don't mention it. At least she had the good sense to run away while I got the crap kicked out of me. Sounds from the woods made him turn his head again. For the briefest of moments, he wondered if this bear had a mate lying about who wanted to avenge her husband. Before he could raise the gun again, three men appeared in the clearing, along with the little girl. The men were all wearing clothes made out of hides and skin, with long hair hanging down their backs. Jim had seen enough westerns in his time to know Indian braves when he saw them. They were carrying bows and arrows slung over their shoulders, stone knives in their belts, and their faces looked concerned. The little girl pointed to him and said something in a language Jim didn't recognize before pointing to the bear. The three men lowered their weapons and looked at the scratches the bear's claws had left on Jim's shirt. Jim looked down at himself. Already, the cuts from the claws were closing. The bones would take a little longer, but the skin would be fine in a matter of minutes. To these people, he would look very suspicious. He put his gun in its holster and raised his hand in what he hoped was a universal, friendly greeting. Hi there, 
he said, his tone relaxed. Any of you speak English? One of the men pointed to him and said something in the other language. Jim only caught one word he knew, but wasn't sure if that was good or bad. Manitou.